There is only one thing on this earth more powerful than evil, and that's us. Hi guys, this is Claire Kramer, aka the Great Glorificus, and you are listening to the Buffy Back Issue Bed. Welcome to the Buffy Back Issue Bed, the show where we go through all the Buffy and Angel comics that are canon chronologically, episode 41. Wow. I can't believe we've done 41 episodes. I know. Or 40, I guess. This is the 41st. You know, it's funny. No. Um, it's nice that we have a finite number. Oh, yeah. I'm going to this poorly. There's so many podcasts that like I've heard of like where it's like a husband and wife doing it, and then they get divorced and the show ends. That's so sad. By the way, that's not happening to us in any way, shape, or form. Also, I'm Emily. Oh, yeah. Did I say my name? No. I don't care. I'm Zach. Bye. I thought you were just going to say, I don't care, and then not say your name. Just leave I guess. it. At this point, you probably are aware probably of me yeah i feel like that was a weird opener sorry no not in a bad way just in a an odd way to be like hold on a couple and wife podcast get divorced but we're kicking ass yeah and we're good also that yeah yeah all right cool <laughs> so weird. all right let's do it let's let's do a book or something we're talking about buffy today <gasps> with the graphic novel i wish still reading out of a poor man's trade paperback because they haven't released the library edition of this season yet. But some of us like it better because it's more portable to read in places like the bath. Those library editions are super cheap. They are super not portable to read, though. They're 30 bucks. Isn't that nuts? That is nuts, except that I can only read them sitting someplace where I can, like, rest the giant <laughs> book on the end of the couch or Most something. Most oversized hardcovers run, like, 100 bucks. Yeah. Those are 30 My Harry Potter books are 40 Yeah. Uh, we're kind of jumping around with creatives on this one. Scripts for issues one and three through five are by Christos Gage, and script by Christos Gage and Nicholas Brendan are going to be in issue two. For our first issue, art is going to be by Cliff Richards and Carl Moline of Frey fame. Oh, yeah. I was like, I know that name. Yeah, and Cliff Richards has done some villain stuff in the past on Buffy. And for issues two through five, it's going to be Rebecca Isaacs with two pages by Richard Corbin. Those will be two pretty obvious pages. So there three, you go. Three pages. I'm bad at math. Well, it's okay. We all knew that. The basic addition of numbers just... It's tricky. It was subtraction, so... I don't even know the difference. <laughs> and let's start this party off at a party. With an issue called I Wish, most appropriately. Don't wish in this world. We've learned that. Wishes are bad. I know. I feel like they all should have learned this at this point, but whatever. Clearly no one else has. Buffy returns home to her apartment to find that Tumble has invited two new roommates to stay there with them, and they're just doing keg stands. Just yeah. three guys by themselves doing keg stands. I only found out what keg stands were, like, not that long ago. Maybe a couple months at most. I feel like you told me. But it's a little bit strange because the hose is just going into the guy's mouth. Like, there's no, like, squirting apparatus. I don't know what you would call it. I've never seen a keg stand. I've only had you describe them, so... I mean, it's like anything that has, like, pressurized liquid behind it. Like, you have to have the little... Like, nozzle? Yeah. Hmm. And there's no nozzle on this. It's just a hose going into this guy's mouth. This keg is a lie. Probably. So, Buffy pulls Tumble outside, and she's like, What's happening? Who are these random strangers in my house, and why are they doing a keg stand? And he's like, Oh, yeah, there are new roommates, because, you know, rent's gone up, and... And anaheed has gone. And so we need some extra people in here now. And Buffy's like, Yeah, I'm out then. And we just do lonely keg stands together i know like who does that i'm sure people definitely these guys i'm sure i've known those people <laughs> but um, anyway and buffy says that she's giving notice and we never see tumble again oh tumble i hated your name yeah tumble didn't really add anything it's fine and buffy goes to xander and don's apartment where she starts yelling at don she's like are you insane you gave notice before you found a new place and no, the word balloons aren't mixed up, which is what I first thought when I read them, like, uh, which happens sometimes, like... Oh, I just read them the other way. I never even... I didn't even think about it. I just... Yeah. Matched up the words with what would have... what made the most sense in my head. So no, it turns out that... Dawn is also given notice without finding a new place to live. Yes, so now we have two Summer sisters who are homeless. And Giles has no money because he's a small child. Well, he's like 12. Small child. He wears a sweater vest and a bow tie. I think you have to be like 23 before I'll start referring to you as a small child. Huh. It's an odd, odd age. Yeah. I don't look 23. Mm, Interesting. That is true, though. You've actually referred to me as a small child before. Have I? One time we were in the grocery store and I was like walking behind you and you thought that a small child was following you, but it was me. <laughs> But Andrew's there because he lives in Oakland. Which is not that far away from San Francisco. 
And they're all in California. <laughs> the blooper that will never, ever hear the light of day. <laughs> That's enough out of you. Uh, that was worth it, dear listener. I'm sorry you won't ever know what happened. And Andrew offers up a futon. I hate futons. Side note. There's one in our house. I don't approve. Aggressive. I love my futon. Futons are fine. The futon... They are functional pieces of furniture. Right now it's functionally storing some things for you when the cat likes to sleep on it. Um, because right now we're dealing with some water basement issues. Yeah, we're fine. Anyway. I don't know. This divorce might be coming sooner (laughs) than later because of a futon. Because of a futon and a blooper. And Buffy's like, no, I need a more long-term solution. Fair. They all need places to live. Yeah. So to help find a long-term solution, Giles goes out with Willow to meet Dowling, who says that he's aware of a lady who has an entire apartment building that's haunted. Okay, also, if you're looking for a place to live, I've done this many times, why would you go to the local law enforcement agency? Why not go to Craigslist? Or a realtor, not a cop. Or a realtor. I never really thought about that. I used Craigslist and, you know, other such websites, but weird that they'd be like, our cop friend might know of a place. Yeah. And then weirder that he's like, I do, it's haunted. (laughs) Yep. So they go up to this old haunted building in San Francisco, and the woman, the landlord, is saying, hey, you take care of the demons, you can live here awful cheap. But she's also really bitter about it. Yeah. Which is fair. I mean, like, she has a whole apartment building that she can't really rent out. Giles asks about the history of the house, and she's like, oh, I got it from my dad. He rented it to immigrants, mostly. And then they all died. And she's like, there are no bodies. You know what those people are like. And so Spike says, I'm an immigrant. What are we like? Which immediately brought to mind... We get the job done. A Hamilton reference. Got it. It was right there. Yes, friends. We're back to (laughs) Hamilton references. It's been a while. Probably been like one show, maybe. Maybe three. Who knows? Either. Why don't we do a Hamilton podcast? Because there have already been a lot of Hamilton podcasts. Song by song. No guests because we don't know people. I was going to say, there was a song by song podcast where they had guests. So it was better. <laughs> so in fear. We also know nothing about music or history. We're also just like, guys, <laughs> we really liked it. We haven't even gone to see it. Real neat. I can't get an alert on my phone. Yes. Buying those tickets no matter what. Isn't it supposed to be in Boston next November? I guess. I don't know. I have an alert. When it happens, the alert will happen and I'm buying them no matter what. It'll be a sad day for the credit the card. credit card. So if you are interested in joining our Patreon account, now would be a great time. <laughs> so they all go into the haunted house where it's not some kind of ghost that's been killing all of these immigrants. It's a giant pile of eyeballs that has tentacles. What a good description. Yeah. I don't know what else to say about that, other than it's coming up through the floor. I feel like we've seen a lot of demons like this since they went to comics. Like, big, undefined blob with tentacles. Yeah, they're big on the, like... I think this is the third one, because there was the one when Giles and Faith were in that one shot, and I think it was England. Mm-hmm. There was the one that was at Deep Scan, and now this. There was the one on Angel and Faith where it's the, the candle, no, the glass blower. Yeah. Also well, I mean, he's... Giant tentacle demon. And also, like, half of After the Fall, like, half of Los Angeles was a tentacle. <laughs> yes. They're like, hey, you know what doesn't have a budget anymore? Art. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, try saying that to an artist. Okay, you know what I mean. Like, you can do whatever you want. It's just gonna take you forever. It's true. So, they do what they do best. They all start hacking away... At tentacle pieces. And Is then some green... Giles flying? Um, I think he jumped. Eight feet? I don't know. That's weird, right? It is weird. I don't know. It's like he got pulled back down here and then he's like thrown up in the air. I don't know. Oh, maybe Buffy threw him in the air. Stop throwing children, Buffy. I know. But in any case, he also had a warning to them not to get the slimy blood stuff that comes out of the tentacles when you cut them open on them. But they all do it anyway, because how are you going to avoid that? Yeah, because, you know, they cut into it. And then we get an artist change going back to Carl Moline. As we see Buffy's back in Sunnydale outside of their house with a tiny Don and Joyce. Okay, tiny Don meaning like... 13-year-old Don? 14-year-old. But I like I like the artist change because... We're in a dream world now, yeah, so it works. it signals that something's happening. Yeah, and who should appear from the house? Not just Don and Joyce, but their dad. Does he have a name? Name escapes me. Is that like Paul? I don't remember. 
I don't either. Buffy's dad. We really need to know what his name is. No. Rarely seen absentee father. Yeah, and he's carrying a plate of burgers, it looks like. I like that he comes out with a platter like he's a server. I wish that they he's were... like, look at my burgers. I really tried to say cookies there. I think you just want cookies. It's also a really big platter that comfortably fits those four burgers. Maybe they're like sliders. He went to White Castle or something. Okay. In this dream world, we find that all of our cast are back to being their youthful selves. Or at least, you know, of an age that we would recognize them at. Giles is still about the same age because he's youthful. Spike is early 20s. But they're all back home. That's what the important part is. So Spike is back with his mom and Giles is back with his dad. All on the same street. And Xander and Willow aren't quite there yet. They roll up in and are immediately brainwashed like everyone else. So they got goo on them somehow. A bit later? No, it's not really clear. It never actually happens visually. It's inconsistent. Okay. They're just turned into... This world as yeah. well. So Xander walks into his living room, dining room, to his dining room, and his parents are sitting at the table. They have a lovely meal there for him, and they're like, son, welcome home. Tell us all about your day. We've decided to work everything out between us, and we love you. And we're not drunk. And immediately Xander's like, not good. Everything's wrong. <laughs> what is like he goes, oh, this is all fake. Yes. I like how everyone else can accept a somewhat happy childhood, but Xander's like, no, no, no. Nothing is coming up, Xander. I know, which is actually heartbreaking that there's not even the tiniest part of him that's like, yes, I will suspend reality for this. He's like, this wasn't even in my wildest dreams. So Xander runs out of the house. He's like, get away from me, replicants. And Buffy's like, I think I know that boy. And Joyce, an unnamed father, I'm sure he has a name, just forgot it. Really questioning if he did now. I can't remember his name ever being said on the show. I feel like it's something really normal, like Greg or Paul. So Greg. <laughs> just pick a random name. <laughs> yep. We named him. Hands Buffy the scythe, and he's like, you have to kill that boy. He's trying to ruin it for everybody. More boy killing. Why are we back to that? <laughs> I, I thought know. that was dead forever. <laughs> I thought when you listened back to it and we were editing, and you were like, that was really creepy. Yeah, no kidding. I thought that that meant that it had died. Clearly not. And Xander meets Willow in the street. She's like, yeah, um, my computer's really old and I have a bunch of posters of boy bands, so. That feels wrong on a lot of levels. <laughs> Every bit. And she looks at Xander. She's like, hey, something's kind of wrong with you. You have two eyes. Oh, yeah. Something that was heartbreaking. I was like, poor Xander and his eye patch. I do like this. There's um a progression of art, like, as they recognize who they like are like you know they find themselves again their clothing starts to change the eye patch comes back but it's gradual it's a little piece at a time for all of them it's not just like one panel or this and the next panel or that it takes a couple panels for them to get back to normal right so like xander's shirt changes back to the shirt he was wearing in the apartment and willow's hair gets shorter but the eye patch doesn't come back until a few panels later and then we get just a super creepy panel of Buffy approaching the two of them. A nice low angle shot to make Buffy look powerful. Except she is wearing the shortest skirt of all time. And if it was just a hair off, we'd be seeing a lot of butt. And this is supposed to be teenage Buffy, so that's weird as hell. Yeah, I don't feel great about it. So glad I had to talk about a naked teenage butt. That Well, thrilling. it's not naked. It's clothed in a well, uh, you, drawn on skirt. Yeah, You know what I mean. I know exactly what you mean. And... Buffy takes a swing, skirt flutters out fully. Like a tutu. Yeah. And I would like a tutu. She misses, bringing the scythe to the ground, going, no, I won't hurt them. Realizing that things aren't quite right, and unlike Xander and Willow, she just changes right back to her old clothes, and she takes a big swing to kill her parents. I know, which is really harsh. But they turn back into, like, weird, gross-looking demons. Yeah, Spike also is really interesting because he doesn't get totally taken in by this either. He is talking to his mom, and his mom's like, I love you so much. You're the best ever. He's like, this is not good. This is definitely bad and wrong. Yeah, she wants him to read love poems to him, and that he should only read the love poems to her. Weird. Yeah. And then he remembers what happened, that he turned his mother into a vampire, and then she tried to have sex with him, and then he had to kill her. So he just kills her now. That was a weird, weird story. It was a weird sentence to say. Yeah, I was going to just brush past it, but sure, we can dwell on it. I actually really like the art. It looks exactly like the episode did. Oh, yeah. On the mother's vampire face. 
and Spike freaks out and he starts killing this version of his mother and just kind of lays out Spike's motivation. It's like, you coddled me, filled my head with impossible dreams, made me weak, set me up for the world to crush me. I had to be strong to survive. I had to change. It's your fault I'm like this. And then he reverts back to himself and he's kind of sad that he had to murder his mother for the third time. Poor thing. Well, he didn't have to murder her the first time. He really had to the second time. Yeah, but he just, he chose to the first time. Yeah. That was a choice he made. It was a poor choice. That was such a good Drew episode. I love Drew. He's like, the three of us will be going across the country murdering. It's like three. He's like, oh, me and mom. You want your mother to come with us. I love Drew. That was such a good Drew moment. Every moment is good with Drew. And Buffy hacks them all to pieces. But for some reason, even though everyone remembers who they are now, they're still in this dream world. Because Giles is a son of a bitch and he wants to relive his childhood because it was taken away from him the first time. And he's leading a little army of children, which we come to find out are the children that disappeared from this apartment building throughout the years. So they've all just been living in this. (laughs) Yes, I guess. They're going to get the job done. They've all just been living in this dream world ever since they were taken out of the real world. And they haven't grown up in a Peter Pan-esque way. So now Giles, with his fancy aviator headgear, is leading them with magic fists. And everybody's like, Giles, you just, you gotta give it up. And he, the saddest thing, the font gets smaller, and he just goes, I don't want to go. He's a bit David Tennant of himself. It's very sad. You're not up to that episode yet? No. Oh, you were gonna ball. Then you're gonna go, we can't watch the show anymore because it makes me cry too much. So why do you want me to watch the show? show's dope. I feel like those weren't words. (laughs) And with the realization that Giles has to go back to the real world, things are fine, I guess. The story is wrapped up way too fast, and the demon's dead, I guess. And we're not really sure what happens to the kids. Yeah. It says, Dowling says most of the kids have surviving family. I don't know if that meant that the kids... I think the kids came out okay. Yeah, it's really... It's wrapped up so fast. And then they have a new place to live. And DeHoffrin shows up. He's like, look, we really need to work on this magic book. Stop with your living situation. And they decide they're going to go work on it, and... End of issue. Yeah. I'm glad the living situation is sorted out. This one feels like an early fill-in for the season. It's weird. It's weird. I, I don't... Because I get, can understand... I shouldn't say I understand because, you know, I'm not an artist, clearly. But a lot of times, like, in long-running stories, you'll get an artist coming to fill in for a bit. Mm-hmm. Just maybe an issue here or there, just because a lot of times artists can't keep up with a monthly schedule. Understandable. Right. But... In this case, we're at issue, like, six of the season, and they take some decent breaks in between seasons, I think partially to get the story prepped and to maybe get a little bit out of schedule, so I have no idea. It's a weird little one-shot. It seemed weirder to me that they didn't tie the demon in or the kids in or anything else in about this little story. It was just like, oh, yep, the kids are fine, the demon's dead, we're all fine now. Everything's fine. It got wrapped up really fast. It would have been a lot. I mean, you could have cut out almost the first half of this issue and done it in like maybe two or three pages of like, oh, because Giles is back and Don and Xander are breaking up, like we need to sort the living situations. Right. Instead of like weird keg stand and Andrew showing up for some reason and going out to meet Dowling. It was an odd one. Yeah, it could have been paced a bit differently. But anyway. Whatever. Here we are. It's one on issue. issue two. <laughs> I wish, part two. Yes. So we're in the moving in stage. So even though they have this nice big apartment building, everyone has to live together. So we're in two apartments. So Xander and Spike are roomies, which is precious. And the girls are all rooming together. And Giles will be in there too, I guess. Or does he have his own place? He has his own place. Oh, yeah. He has his own apartment because Giles is like the man child who actually is making rational decisions being like, we have a whole apartment building. I'm going to live by myself. Yep. Spike and Xander are this close to painting a line down the middle of the apartment saying, this side's yours and this side's mine. They start unpacking all of their toys. Well, it's just Xander's toys. He calls them maquettes. I love that this is such a good callback. Spike has a billion soap opera digests because they all have the descriptions of the um, show that he loved, Passions. (laughs) Such a good callback. I love that Spike loves soap operas. But he calls them his reference materials too, which I find charming. Yeah, Xander and Spike, roommates again. But Spike isn't British flipping Xander off this time. Good for them. There's always a Joss thing. He likes to sneak in Britishisms that won't deal... That'll go under the censorship. 
both in TV and movies. I mean, there was the flip-off thing. Did you know about that? Till I told you that? You had to. Yeah. And the Avengers using the phrase mewling quim. That is, if you translated that into American language, would never have made it into a movie. (laughs) It wouldn't. Not a PG-13 movie. That, like, we're going hard British on that. And they're complaining about the price of rent and spikes, like, how am I going to make money? Maybe I should start a detective agency where I help it. No, never mind. Can't do that. That already happened. But I could be a vigilante and just kill folks who deserve it, like child molesters and people who talk during movies. Firefly reference. And then Xander actually has a really good idea here. He's like, Dowling to start a supernatural crimes unit, so you could probably just be a consultant. Good call. Way to use the intelligent thing you have going on there so spike's a cop now so deal with that in your brain well it's better than the fact that angel is apparently doing nothing but still has leather coats <laughs> lives in a sewer <laughs> well he has no money he spends it all on leather jackets giles and de are sitting down inside of buffy donna willow's apartment where they're making up some new rules for the magical world and the concern was the magical barriers were weak so giles scribbles down that all the barriers are back up and we're good to go. And DeHoffman's like, all right, I'm out of here. That's why I came. Meanwhile, Buffy is just unpacking and enjoying things. And she's like, it's like Friends. It is like Friends. I was just watching it and thinking about how they were similar. Love, hilarity, and fun and housing we shouldn't be able to afford. And that's very true in both of these properties. Do they ever explain that in Friends? Or like it's rent controlled or some they crap like that? They say it's rent controlled from Monica's grandmother is the one, and then the apartment on the other side, which is definitely smaller, the boys' apartment. Yeah, that would never happen. You couldn't possibly get away with that. I can't help that. But they, the boys' apartment, it's just kind of like that Chandler has money and a roommate. I don't know. I don't know. So while everyone's unpacking, Buffy decides the safest place to leave the new magical book is with Spike and Xander. Willow has already set up a protective spell circle around their apartment, but she needs to do it around the girls' apartment. Why she didn't do it in the other order, I don't even know. Why they need to leave the book with somebody, I don't know. But they do. So they leave it with the boys in their apartment, and the boys immediately leave their apartment. Yeah, this is a dumb plan. Don't leave this with Spike and Xander. Poor choices. And Spike is trying to give Xander relationship advice. He's like, you need to love yourself first before other people can love you like Don. And Xander freaks the hell out. We get more of weird, angry Xander. He actually refers to himself as angry Xander on the next page. Yeah, but I don't know. What we've seen from Xander, it's not just this season, but also last season of like him getting angrier and angrier and like getting real close on the edge of beating his girlfriend. Mm. It's... Uncomfortable. Yeah. To say the least. Not a good look for the character. Yeah. So they go to a bar to solve their weird... Emotional issues of Xander's anger. So they're like, hey, you're really angry. Let's stick some alcohol in you. And then let's put some darts in your hand. (laughs) The darts weren't that bad, probably. I mean, it's all fine. It all ends up fine for the two of them. They're fine. Yeah, I mean... Except I bet the darts are really hard for Xander because... Depth perception? Yeah, yeah. and he sucks at darts. I never thought about that until right now. And Xander talks to Spike. He's like, Dawn cares about you more than anyone. I mean, you were one of the last ones to remember her when she was fading away. She trusts you implicitly. Can you help me get her back? Yeah, and he also says something really sweet. He's like, you knew what we needed. You were able to put us back together when Dawn was falling apart. Can you do that again? And Spike says information the reader already knows, so I'm glad we're reiterating it, that all of... Dawn's memories have been kind of reset, so she experiences Joyce for the first time again, even though we already know this information, but let's say it again. I am being unnecessarily harsh to this arc. Yeah, this arc is totally fine, but um, Spike actually makes some really good points here, which is odd for Spike, but... I don't think so. Spike's I mean, not always, odd, but... That always seemed to... I mean, that's a very, like, thing of the Buffy and Angel verse. Like, the kind of bruiser characters were always the more insightful ones. Yes. Like, Faith had it, Spike had it, Gun had it. And so he's talking about how Xander is just very self-centered in this whole thing. That, that throughout this whole ordeal, Xander has only thought about what he wants, what he feels, not anything about how what Dawn's going through in this. And Xander's like, whoa, you just blew my mind. Like, I can't believe that's, like, that's so true. And Spike says, end of the day, if you love someone, you do what's best for them. And in unison, they say, even if it's not what's best for you, Jinx, you owe me a Coke. Is that how that goes? I don't remember. It's been a long time. It is actually. Well done. And then these two lovely ladies come up to their table and they start flattering them. And one of them goes to Spike. They're like, ooh, that was so poetic. I love poetry. And Spike's like, I'm a poet. 
And I know it. No one else does, though. And the other one goes up to Xander, and she's like, hey, is that a Dark Horse license on your shoulder in this Dark Horse book? Okay, well, she doesn't say it quite like that, but close enough. And Xander's wearing a BPRD patch. Is that what that is? Yeah. Oh, had no idea. But they start talking to the boys about the boys' interests, and everything is so obviously fake. They're immediately enamored. Also, the glowing green eyes kind of tell us that it's fake. Yeah. Ghost Anya comes bursting out of nowhere and she's like, look, I tried to not get in the middle of this, but I'm getting in the middle of it because you're making poor choices, Xander. Can't you see this is fake? And he's like, isn't it great? Yeah. (laughs) These obvious sirens are obvious. And Xander's like, but the sex. Yes. So Also, no one else saw you point to the side of the wall. Like it's over there. I talk with my hands. Yeah, I know. It's just funnier to think about that. And when Anya's like, these are sirens, one of them whistles seductively at Xander, and he runs away, and she's like, great, awesome, sirens. You're real dumb. I really like Ghost Anya. Corporeal Xander and Ghost Anya. We shall call her Ganya. No, I just like Ghost Anya. And so they get there, and Spike and Xander are like, so cool. So this is happening, like, right here? Yeah, they say, is this it? The place of the sex? Cool line. Weird. And... The girls transform into their normal selves. No one has sex with Xander. He talks weird. Yeah. And they say like, hey, the sex isn't with us. It's with the mistress. And we meet Land Ursula. Yes. Who's kind of paler than normal Ursula. But also with a tentacle bottom. Octopus body, real fat, no nose, and seaweed for hair that I'm not sure. It's braided really lovely though. I'm not going to say tastefully covers her nipples, but covers them. So, ten minutes later, we find out that Xander and Spike are having a pillow fight in their boxers. Because they're under the thrall. Xander's under so many thralls. Stop being under the thrall. He's evidently weak-willed. And boy, has he lost weight. So, Ghost Anya starts yelling at him, and she's like, you need to get your life together and get out of this. Stop having an underwear pillow fight with Spike. And he can kind of hear Ghost Anya for like half a second. So this is actually very creative of Xander. He takes two little plastic swords that you put in drinks and he pierces Spike's eardrums with them. So that Spike can't be under their song anymore. Well, Xander was temporarily out of it because of Ghost Anya. And Spike is admittedly pissed because, you know, pierced eardrums. And And then he's like, wait, why am I in my boxers? Why am I having a pillow fight with Xander? This is definitely not good. (laughs) This is my nightmare. And then he goes, sirens. And he attacks the two sirens that brought them in there. And Xander, much like he did with Dracula, grabs Spike from behind. Stop being under the thrall. <laughs> You've done it twice in a row, man. And Spike's response is to bite the mistress. And kind of like last issue, things are weirdly resolved. Spike bites the demon, which is supposed to be kind of gross for vampires to bite other demons. The mistress disappears and the two sirens that brought them there are just gone. Like, no explanation. They're just just gone. And all of a sudden, Xander's just on Spike's back, like, riding piggyback. I do like the line because Xander is on top of him going, how are your muscles so hard and your skin so soft? (laughs) Fun line. What the hell just happened? Spike bit the main one and then everything was gone. Yeah. Gosh, are we at the end of an issue? Almost. Not quite. Yeah, Sorry I'm being harsh on this one. I love this season. Side note. It's a good season. We're just having some weird little bits here. So Spike and Xander go back to the same bar that they met the sirens at earlier that night. Um, Pick a new place, guys. But they don't. And they meet Dowling there. And they're all just having a nice little chat. Xander walks home with Ghost Anya later. She's, you know. She's like, figure your crap out. And Xander's like, I will figure my crap out. But then he sees Don walking with a jackass with a man bun. Okay, we know literally nothing about this guy. I'm willing to believe that he's a lovely gentleman. And Xander goes home and stares at the book where anything can happen, which, don't let Xander have the book. Yeah, not great. Spike is still hanging out with Dowling, and Dowling's like, cool, so still in love with Buffy, yeah? And Spike's like, why does everyone keep saying that? I mean, I am, but... But why are you all saying that? And as Spike leaves the bar, a mysterious girl walks in. And goes up and says that she's looking for someone who goes by the name of Spike. And who is it? But Dylan. Dylan. Dylan from the Spike 
original graphic novel, what was they called that, Into the Light? Or a big sack of inconsistent crap that messes with canon horribly, and I hate that, that book. Is that the Looking for Boots one? Yeah, it's the one where Spike doesn't have boots. That's what I thought, but then I was like, no, no, it couldn't be that same character. It is. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. But on a pleasant note, we don't see Dylan again for the rest of this graphic novel, so we're just going to move on to issue three. If it wasn't for this, I wouldn't put that book in canon at all. That book is so inconsistent with the lore. That book sucks. I don't like to make blanket statements about things, being like, it's awful. That book is awful. And because Dylan comes back here, I remember when I read this, like when it came out, like probably like day over week of whenever I picked it up, I was just like, oh, son of a bitch. That counts. I was like... Ending it with that issue, the month it came out, I was so disappointed. My favorite part is that years later, you're still not over this, which is funny. I really don't like that Spike book. But let's go back to Sunnydale. Yeah. So now that we have these two kind of weird one-offs. But they're together. They're both called I Wish. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, we're returning to Sunnydale. Either way, they all have a place to live. You said you wanted that figured out, so there you go. This is your fault. Okay, sure. I'll take the blame for that years later. Sounds great. And... You know what? We've finished this arc really strong. We have a three-part story. Strong as hell. Love it a lot. Let's get into it. Yeah, it's a really good story. So we find out that Buffy got her haircut. Like, a lot in this issue. Yeah, why not? And we also find out that the big vampire book is missing. So, good job, Xander and Spike. Who saw that coming? So, Xander and Spike obviously blame each other. And then they all look around and they're like, wait. This could only have been taken by one of us because the protective spells are up. Yeah, and according to Willow's spells, only one of the group has access to the book. And everyone looks around and they're like, well, if you guys didn't take it, who could have? And they're like, Giles, did you take it? And he's like, no, idiots, I'm right here. (laughs) Yeah. And they go, hey, wait a minute. One of the sometimes group isn't here. Where's Andrew? So they do a GPS spell, basically. So let Andrew do things. And Willow's like, it's not my fault. Like, I just said us. I didn't really think about it. And they're all like, Andrew is also a murderer and did some really terrible things. Why would we give him control over magics? And Spike plays with the Ninja Turtle, but not so close to being recognizable that it's infringing on copyright. But definitely your favorite part of any book ever. Damn right. Sorry. Love that little bit. You love the turtles? No. What? I've never heard about the Ninja Turtles. Do tell. I never like to say that I love a thing. I really like to be kind of understated. Like, yeah, I like it. I'll say that you love it. Mm, I like it. I also like this book. <laughs> so we do our GPS I, don't know, I just don't like to go big. And we find out that the magic book is in Sunnydale because they put a tracker on it, helpfully. Yeah, so Willow can identify it. And it's just not any night in Sunnydale. And by Sunnydale, I mean a big crater. It's Halloween! Also, really conveniently, it's November 5th today, so it was just Halloween. Yeah, I think I might have read this on Halloween when I was doing my prep. Spooky. Right after we got power back. It was a great day. And it turns out in Sunnydale on Halloween, there's always a big rager every year. People show up. It's like Burning Man. But with costumes. Yeah. And technology, I assume. Burning Man's anti-technology. You've told me so much about Burning Man only through podcasts. We've never talked about Burning Man, not on air. We've talked about Burning Man plenty. Love to do Burning Man. But probably without the drugs. I would never have any interest in going there. Not once, not ever. Leave me here. Also, probably. Not saying no. Leave me here. Burning Man is not my scene. And they decide that they're going back to Sunnydale. Before they leave, they presume that Andrew is being possessed by some kind of demon that's drawing him in there. And Willow says a great line that I think is a lovely reference. Xander's like, what if you're too late? Willow goes, then we'll be fighting a mega powerful hell demon that can probably slaughter us in its sleep. Or as we call it, Wednesday. Is that new release day for comics? I thought that was funny, too. Which I think goes back to a Buffy reference back when Buffy was being released on Tuesdays. Buffy goes, oh, Dawn's in trouble. Must Must be be Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. So I love that. That's some good stuff. I know I was a little bit harsh on the first couple, but hands down, the writer knows the lore and he can reference a lot of stuff very specifically. No, I did not love the first two issues of this book, but as a whole... I didn't mind them. I just wanted them... I just thought they both ended pretty quickly. But I thought they were... They started out well. That's the problem of a one-shot often is you just gotta, gotta wrap it up. Yeah, which is fine. But I like it. I like it a lot. So off we go to Sunnydale and we get this fun little interlude. Yeah, of this is the art change that we have here for the three pages. And when I first read this, I'm like, this is lazy. This is so lazy for writing. 
there is a demon called the Soul Glutton who is giving his own backstory. Basically, he likes to eat souls. He had a wife and a kid. And then Aztec Slayer killed his wife and kid, and he's wanted vengeance on the Slayers ever since. Like, this is insanely lazy. This is just... Exposition. Three straight-up yeah, exposition. Three full pages of exposition. Not worked in there organically. Not nothing. This is just bad, bad writing. But then, I, tur- I did a full 180, and I'm like, I love this. I thought it was... I liked it anyway to begin with, but... Um, I just... I mean, I look at things from story and writing a lot. So we go back to former location of Sunnydale, and there's these three people in costumes. Who just go like, I love it, it's so good. It turns out the soul glutton was just telling this to people at Sunnydale, and one of them goes, not bad, not bad. I like the transposition of the classic Western revenge story onto a horror paradigm, but I do have notes. You made it sound like you were some huge Godzilla, but you're still just the size of a normal dude. And they kind of go through all these assorted story notes with him. And I love this, just like this kind of, you know, armchair editor. <laughs> just like, shut up. No one wants your notes. And I so, say as someone giving notes to these stories. So shut up, me. Because the soul glutton is now the size of a man. And so he's like, but I'll grow when I kill souls. And they're like, it's kind of a cool revision thing. Like, I can I can roll with the revision. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then Soul Glutton's like, I don't really care if you can roll with it or not. Yeah, he goes, well, why raise the question at all? Why tease the audience with a promise you can't keep? So he just kills this guy. He's like, you're dead. I have a trident. I'm going to stab you, steal your soul. I'll swallow your soul. He goes, I'll keep all my promises. And Andrew is working his way through the crater of Sunnydale while this guy's getting stabbed to death. And he finds his underground lair. One of many. Side note, they're all number 69. Yeah, Andrew tells us that. The random narrator from nowhere tells us that for a 69 joke. Weird. So, Re- Really, what is their narration in this? I don't know. Not in this one, that's true. A lot of times we have narration. Yeah, but that one just comes out of nowhere to be like, 69. Funny. I just assumed it was Andrew. No. So then our friends show up in Sunnydale, and there's best all the- friends. What? They're our best of friends. Right. And there's all these people around, and Will's like, how are we ever going to get rid of these people? And Buffy's like, I don't know. Actually, he's the other way around. It doesn't matter. And so <laughs> Spike is like, I'll solve this problem. He puts on vamp face. And then one of the people who was giving story notes before to the soul glutton goes, dude, outstanding William the Bloody. And Spike is so flattered. And it's just very charming. And then the guy's like, yeah, but the his poems were terrible. He's like, I like his murder, <laughs> not his writer's spirit. And Spike gets so upset at him. I'm ready for more murder. And Buffy goes, don't feed the trolls. How many times do I tell you that on, tr- on Twitter? Are you Spike? I have, I don't get it that much, but boy, I have difficulty not responding sometimes. I'm like, I have a funny thing. I know. And we see Andrew is inside of secret hideout number 69, where he pulls out a box that says Jonathan Levinston on it. Jonathan, who you may not remember, Andrew killed in season seven, stabbed him, stabbed him good. Jonathan had been around for a long time. He first showed up in 204 Inca Mummy Girl. Is that 203? It's 204. And he made it all the way through season seven. I mean, got killed in it, but you know what I mean. Side note, he made it all the way through season seven in Gilmore Girls too. And the reunion. And his name was Doyle. Oh yeah, he was in that. I forgot. So excited. And it turns out the trio... Andrew's old supervillain team, made backups of themselves digitally, like their consciousness was loaded up. So Andrew puts on his Google Glass where he can see Jonathan through it. And they also had vials of their own blood so that they could... Clone themselves. Clone themselves if necessary. A la Dolly. I saw I, We've already done that on this. I know. Yeah, that it's a dead sheep. It's a dead clone sheep. It has no soul. Wow. You don't get to go see Dolly now. You saw a weird taxidermy clone i loved her she rotates rather quickly too (laughs) and andrew's like just stopping to grab some stuff to resurrect you because i have a book that can restore anything and jonathan's like sounds great um also are you carrying a man purse i do love that it's not a purse satchel andrew for some reason had this perfectly made box that was a spell dampening box it's a faraday cage yeah but it was, like, perfectly made for the book. It's yeah, that's true. He went out and got a custom-made case to hide the GPS tracker. Yeah. So specific. So he's like, I have one more stop to make on our resurrection tour. Uh-oh. Who could we be resurrecting? Warren. Skinless. Hopefully with. Skinful. Skin- skinful Warren. We'll hang out with Ghost Anya. <laughs> <laughs> and Buffy, Willow, and Spike find hideout number 69. 
And they're like, hmm, he seems to have already been here, and now we can't track him. What's going on? And the soul glutton comes out of nowhere, ready to kill Buffy larger than before, because he's grown from eating souls. Yeah. And he tries to just stab Buffy in the back. He's like, Slayer! And it doesn't really work. But we do find out that he can start to pull some some power from Willow, weirdly, because her power comes from her soul. So, like, when she uses magic on him, it just makes him stronger, which is odd. And not great for our So basically, though, oh, crap, we got to go. So they basically do a Monty Python, run away, and then just collapse the hideout on top of him. Like, all right, he's gone forever. (laughs) And they're like, we really got to go find Andrew because they're pretty certain that he's trying to revive Warren. Yeah. So Willow's like, I'll go get Andrew. You go kill this thing. So we're separated. And Buffy and Spike walk around to the ruins of Sunnydale, where they go back into Spike's crypt of all places. Underneath it, that's where he kept, you know, all those demon eggs, and then they blew it up with grenades. Because Riley called him the doctor. That was a dumb pseudonym. It was all weird. You should never call yourself the doctor. Who would do that respectably in sci-fi? Anyway, so it's all, they all have like a feelings chat about how they felt at that time in their lives. And Buffy's like, everything was falling apart. And I'm so sorry that I took advantage of you. Blah, blah, blah. And you blah, loved blah, me. Blah, and you loved me. And Spike's like, no. I never loved you. I was just being selfish. It was a thing at the time. And I don't really like this bit because... For me, clearly doing the show, like, I very connect to the IDW stuff and the Dark Horse stuff, and this feels very derivative towards that scene in the, like, last Spike miniseries before he went fully onto Dark Horse, when he got his soul removed, and he was like, I always loved Buffy, I don't really need a soul or not, I'm stronger than the demon in me, you know, real emotion, blah blah blah, and this is kind of like, nah, never mind. Right. So, for me personally, like, one of my all-time favorite Spike moments gets kind of undercut by this. Yeah. I don't know. It's, just, it's a small gripe. It's not a big deal, I suppose. The two have never felt fully integrated, even though they're supposed to be... Be rather seamless. Yeah. They're not. We also hacked out a bunch of the end. I feel like in this show alone, we've pointed out how not seamless it is. But anyway, the soul glutton bursts in on their little feelings fest in the yeah. crypt. Thank God we're done with that. Feelings? Yeah. Oh, okay. I guess this is a big soap opera, but whatever. It That's all that it is. It's a teenage soap opera. And then the soul glutton is 30 feet tall. He's like, I'm here to glutton your soul. And this is the part of the story that killed me when I read it. I remember. I know. Big reaction. And Willow goes... Because you are such a softie. Yeah. Uh, Willow goes to Warren's grave because apparently he has a grave. They buried the skin that Willow ripped off of him, but nothing else. Super gross, by the way. And the grave is undisturbed, and she thinks back to Hideout 69, where the USB that would hold Warren's consciousness had been smashed, the blood had been smashed open. She's like, okay, Andrew's not trying to resurrect Warren, but I can feel a resurrection spell a Bruin. Who else would he be trying to bring back? And she's like, he has Jonathan's DNA, so he doesn't need Jonathan's grave. Like, he could resurrect Jonathan anywhere, so who would he be at the graveyard for, and who would it be but Tara? Oh, oh, God, even you saying that just gets you. I know. Somebody is all glassy-eyed. I'm not. It's not me. I'm drunk on this wine. Okay. But, God, if that just doesn't punch you right in the feelings. I actually didn't see it coming either. No, neither did I. When I, re- I remember um, you hadn't read these yet, and I rem- you were over pre-marriage. <laughs> and <I'd, laughs> Weird. I, remember I, I read this, and I was just like, oh, shit. And I was like very emotional right now what are you doing emotionally reading comics why are you so sad at this book it's just like gut punch that was pre the store yeah terror is used sparingly like we had the thing of willow being offered terror as a guide and that was the same deal like she whenever she's brought up it's used well yeah so this is one of those i was just like ah. so we leave that for a moment we go back to and wait a month Okay, but in our world, we wait... A page. Seven seconds. So now we're back with Buffy and Spike, and they're trying to fight this demon who's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I feel like we should describe the soul glutton. Kind of like Chewbacca mixed with... Seaweed. I don't know, like tendrils. He has tendrils. He does. So think of, instead of fur, tendrils. He's real loose and gooey. It's like giant Chewbacca with tendrils coming out of his mouth gooey it's weird in a trident buffy says it's like stabbing jello why does this trident grow i don't know i get like he is a soul he grows maybe it's part of him maybe it's like ko's glowy hands i don't know his trident grows as well i feel like that shouldn't happen whatever anywho 
but they the soul glutton can feel the resurrection spell and he can pull power from that as well and so if this resurrection spell happens the soul glutton will end up being basically invincible if if the spell is allowed to go through neato and buffy but nobody knows that yet and, so and buffy just goes less talky more stabby i'm with you buffy meanwhile willow comes to a realization of who andrew could possibly be trying to resurrect and with the most annoying trait that the comics have brought in, which totally undercuts it, she just goes, oh my goddess. Yep, no, I get it. She says that now. It's fine. Stop saying that. She good. You look like you're in physical pain right now. Don't like it. It started in season eight. Even at the end of season seven. Like, one of her last lines in the show. Like, maybe, oh god, I don't know. Like, third to last line in the show is, oh my god. Yeah, I can't actually imagine Willow physically saying this. <laughs> oh my but... goddess. Because what does she have after that? She I said... also can't imagine... Oh no, because she talks to Kennedy after that. So maybe it's like her fifth to last line. She's like, you're a slayer. What does she say after that? That was fun. And then something at the very end, like, what do we do now, Buffy? So yeah, like fourth to last line. Sorry, did you just recite the finale? From 2003, got it in my brain. I don't like finales. I don't watch them. <laughs> We've watched that one. I know. I don't Multiple know. times. I never plan on watching it again. You've seen it multiple times. I don't really like finales. I don't want to watch it. You haven't seen the finale because the books are still going. I have never seen the finale of many of my favorite shows. But Wow, I... that was um, getting a little away from things. Counting back how many. <laughs> yeah, okay. Moving on. Buffy and Spike are fighting the soul glutton. Oh, and... I'll stay there. And they call Giles, and I love this. Giles does one full page of exposition, which basically comes down to stab it in the head. And yeah. Buffy goes, so stab it in the head. Yes, it took him that long to say it. There's parts of this. I mean, there's a lot of this book I like, but stuff like that. I love this book. It's a good book. For as much as I take away, like, this is whatever. I really do love it. And moments like that just remind me why I like this world and why I like this book. Okay, I also really love that Giles is dressed as adult Giles would be dressed throughout all of these comics. But right now he's wearing a robe, but it's a robe with dinosaurs <laughs> on it, which I just find hilarious. It's like Giles, I don't know, I just it's just perfect. So anyway, I just had to mention the dinosaur robe. And Buffy and Spike talk about their feelings for a quick second before the soul glutton, let's now call him 50 feet tall, comes at them and they try and stab him in the face and all he says is fools and it kind of feels like what they just did with malachor last arc there's a lot of things that feel repeated yeah again i love this book i feel like i'm eh, whatever you know overall this is some of the best stuff out there i'm gonna read it a million more times so no it's if, good if there's a couple of bits and moments i don't like whatever it's fine overall i like it a lot that's why we do the show weird so they're fighting their very outranked battle <laughs> Meanwhile, Andrew is trying to resurrect Tara, and he's talking to Siri, who refers to him as Your Grace. I find that charming, that he has designated himself a duke. Not like, just, that's that's how high he thinks of himself, as a duke. Not any higher, not any lower, just a duke. And Willow shows up, she's like, you cannot do this. We brought Buffy back after being dead for a couple of months, or however long they said it. Whatever they said for the days didn't really line up. Did they say like 90 days or something? I don't know. I don't know. No, it was something that wasn't quite right. Either way, the days didn't really make sense for a summer. Anywho, that is long revisionist history, so who cares? You. You care. And Willow's like, you can't bring her back. We pulled Buffy out of some kind of heavenly dimension, and it ruined her. Tara's been gone for years. We have to move on. Yeah, you can't bring her back. And Andrew's like, but I need to make up for that. Like, that was... The worst thing that I was a part of. Like, she died. Buffy came back. Giles came back. Spike came back. Everyone's come back, and it's been fine. And you've all been able to fix things, and you've all been forgiven. Why can't I be forgiven? Yeah. Which is also sad. It's heartbreaking. And the fight with the soul glutton is going poorly. It looks like they're all about to die. Buffy looks at Spike and just goes, Spike, is she going to say it for the second time ever? Because she says, we're not going to make it. Yeah, they think they're going to die. And, you know, the last time Spike died, you know, if we're going back to the finale dialogue, she's like, I love you. No, you don't, but thanks for saying it. And Buffy might be about to say it again. But then Andrew stops the spell. Actually, Siri stops the spell and says, yes, your grace. Willow flies through, grabs them with a little mystical force field, flies them out as a group, and things are fine, and the soul glutton is gone forever. And Buffy goes to Andrew. She's like, will you cut this out? Oh, my God. You did this with a giant spider. You 
did it when you made me a robot, a perfectly nude, replicated robot, rapey, but, you know, moving on, and you just did it again. Stop trying to do a big thing to fix what you've done in the past. You're no angel. I was going to say, does that sound like <laughs> anybody else we know? You're one of us. We already had this talk two seasons ago, but I guess we'll have it again. Like, we forgive you. Cut the crap out. You're one of us, for good or for bad, forever. Remember when we had this talk in that one shot in season eight when you brought a big spider? And so Andrew's like, sounds good. Also, I still don't want to live with you guys. I'm still going to go back home to Oakland. So he goes back home to Oakland and he talks to Jonathan's consciousness and he goes, okay, I've learned my lesson about not asking people before I do grand gestures, try to help them. Do you want a body back? And Jonathan's like, yes, yes. Can I be taller? Because he's a tiny, tiny man. I don't want to be taller. I like that. So ultimately, Andrew has learned nothing. Yes, but I like that he asked the consciousness, like... You want to come back, buddy? Stabbed you that one time, killed you. Killed you good. Also, I think it's funny that Jonathan is not at all upset about that. I mean, he was. He tried to punch Andrew, but he's, you know, a digital projection. Yeah. So we have a one-shot to finish off things called Day Off, or Harmony, in my head. Oh, Harmony. She's back. I like this issue a lot. So we find out that Buffy still doesn't have a job, but her new job is now to, like, interview demons to get their input on the magic. On the rules of magic. Outside their apartment is a big cat, a slimy monster, and a drunk leprechaun. Buffy's had enough of this, basically, after dealing with all this assorted interviews and crap. And, you know, Buffy wants the leprechaun to say, always after me, Lucky Charms. And he's really angry and drunk and already a stereotype. He's like, I'm, I am more than a catchphrase. And let's all be proud of me for not doing it in a terrible Irish accent. I am actually really proud of you. Always after me, no! Lucky Charms. We were so close. Yuck to tea, to tie to tea. We were so close. I thought that Andrew didn't learn anything. It was really you all along. <laughs> it was me all along. And DeHoffren is there as well because he's been involved with this thing. He's like, hey, we have one more interview today with Vicky the Vampire. Buffy's like, Vicky, I'm all done with Vicky. Like, she tried to kill me. There's only one way this could be any worse. And Harmony comes in with Clem. With Clem! I love Clem! I love Harmony and Clem together. They work so well. And she's like, I'm here to make peace, just like Gumby. (laughs) She means Gandhi. (laughs) I love how Clem's like Gandhi. (laughs) That's what I said. And so we find out that Harmony actually has a pretty decent idea of compromise. Yeah, the new vampires don't want to lose their fun new powers. Buffy doesn't want them to have that because they can also go out in the daylight. So Harmony comes up with a plan to write into the magical book that whenever vampires are in the daylight, they lose all of their fun new tricks. And they're basically just humanoid. Yeah. Human again. And then she goes, boom, mic drop. I agree, Harmony. Boom, mic drop. I know, it's really very clever. And she goes, and it also goes with that Stoker book, so it's fine. Yeah. Clever. And Vicky and Buffy tentatively shake hands and they agree. And Harmony's like, I'm the best around. DeHoffrin goes away. That's what he does. He likes to show up and leave immediately. He's like, all right, did my bit. Vicky goes away. Willow goes away to a job interview. Yep, because Willow is unemployed. Harmony goes over to chat with Spike, who's feeling rather terribly because he thinks that he used Harmony the last time that they saw each other. Harmony thinks that she used him. This feels real out of character for Spike. because To feel bad about it? Yeah, because I yeah. mean, go back to fifth season of Angel when he became corporeal again. First thing he did was bang Harmony because she was there. And then when he was feeling down about himself last season, banged Harmony because Angel called her over. Because Angel's a pimp, I guess. Whatever. A Mac Daddy. You're not allowed to talk oh, anymore. Okay. You lost that privilege. Moving on. Hard for an audio medium. <laughs> and Harmony goes, you didn't use me. I used you. I took the power back because you were being a whiny little bitch. And Spike's like, sure. All right. Well, whatever. So, like, oh. It's like, bye. Cool. And, well, Spike has his back turned. Harmony hits him in the back of the head. With a fire poker. So she knocks him out and she steals the vampire book, which is what they'd come for, so that she can rewrite all of the rules of magic. So she takes Clem as her secretary and she starts to dictate to him rules that she wants to happen. Yeah, nice easy stuff. First and foremost, humans love having their blood sucked out by vampires. And it's super sexy and no one freaks out and everything's fine. And Buffy and Angel and Spike all live in a polyamorous relationship. (laughs) Because they totally should. So we see Harmony's image of Buffy drinking wine while Angel's giving her a foot rub. And Spike is pouring honey 
on Angel's oil. back. No, it's honey. That is a bear. Okay. Well, it, it is. Yeah. It's weird. They're going to get sexy with food. Oh, gross. Anyway, so the other rule is that everybody loves Harmony universally, that she is the most beloved of all of the beings. And mirror, mirror on the wall, she is the prettiest of them all, and all the other girls want to look like her. And so she wants Clem to write everything down, and Spike comes too, quickly grabs the book away. She's like, I am your ruler. Kiss my butt. Literally kiss it. And she's like, why is he not kissing my butt? And Clem's like, well, I didn't get it all down. Yeah, and Clem was like, that's too much. It would have been, you know, the monkey's paw thing. And he's like, I love you for who you are, and I want the world to love you for who you are, not because you told the world to love you. Yeah, that dictated love is not real love, and that everything would have backfired, so I wanted to keep you safe. And Harmony slaps Clem, and Clem's like, it's okay, I still love her. And then it turns out, Clem did write something into the book. Spike freaks out. He's like, oh my god, what is this gonna do? And we find out that unicorns are totally real. And Harmony gets a unicorn because she loves unicorns. I love everything about that and I wish that it were real. God, yeah, it's a good one shot. This is strong. I like it. Yeah, I I do too. I like when Harmony comes in and out. Yeah. Eh, Depending on how you write her, I suppose. But this is fun Harmony. This is a great Harmony. And Spike stands over the book looking at it longingly, much like Xander did, and considers writing down... Fulfilling the Shanshu prophecy, William the Bloody was restored to a living human form, and he and the Slayer dwelt together in love and happiness forever after. But he doesn't write it. Cool. Glad we're bringing up the Shanshu prophecy again. Let's just never mention it after this. Sounds good. What the hell? I mean, I'm glad it came up again, but boy, that plot point was dropped hard. You are difficult to please. It kind (laughs) of drove five seasons of a show. Okay, it drove four of them because it didn't come up until the finale of season one, but still... Anyway. And then it was heavy and after the fall, and then they're like, oh yeah, by the way, the Shanshu's a thing, maybe, sort of, kind of, eh, who cares? Like, thanks, okay, great. And Xander comes back, he's like, it's not that easy, is it? Spike's like, nah, the Slayer and I have something good going on. We're just friends. There's no sexual tension there at all, and I'm gonna keep doing this. And Buffy overhears it and gets sad because she doesn't think Spike loves her anymore. Wrong Otako. Yeah, no kidding. I don't know why she's even like, aww. I know. She's creepily listening at the door. Yeah, because, you know, they live across the hall from each other now. This is going to make things really awkward if someone brings someone home for the night. They're all just going to know and hear it. So we put a pause on our friends and we hop back over to Antioch, California, where the soul glutton... And the mistress are the best of friends, it turns out. Yeah, the siren lady. Yeah. They're also hanging out with someone called the Sculptor, who looks like a melted pile of flesh with some ribs and a couple of arms sticking out the side of his head. Yeah, it's not great. He's super gross looking. And they're like, I mean, hey. the art is fine. It's just not a great looking yeah. thing. Yeah, and he's like, hey, I brought a bunch of people for us to eat. Also, we're villains. <laughs> Pretty much it. <laughs> cool, thanks. And thus ends this particular five-issue arc. Yeah. It's like two little mini arcs. Clearly, I was not a fan of the first two issues. I don't mind them. I just, they just end really quickly. And I feel like there could have been more things tied in. I mean, we do. We tie back in the sirens. But I feel like more things could have been tied in so that it ended less abruptly. I love the two issues when they go back to Sunnydale. Those are great. Yes, they are. And I like the Harmony one, too. The Harmony one's great. And it's not like the first two are devoid of anything good. I like a lot of the dialogue and I like a lot of the character beats. But they feel oddly structured. I don't like Dylan coming back into the mix. I don't know, I guess that's kind of the end of it, but... But it has a much better vibe than the beginning of last season for Buffy, so, like... Yeah, there are still, like, these really strong moments that I can latch on to and go to. I really liked that. Yeah. But there's still bits and pieces where I'm looking at. But whatever, like I said, as a whole, this is a strong season. As a whole, it leaves me excited to read the next Buffy arc. Yeah, and boy, that Tara stuff, that just punches you right in the feelings. I know. I saw all the glassy-eyedness. Because, I mean, that's probably the most tragic thing that happens. Oh, it definitely is. In any of these shows. Like, even the majority of the, or I guess, I mean, the Joyce thing. But I was probably more connected to Tara than I was Joyce. Well, the Joyce thing, too, was not directly because of somebody's actions. Yeah. And I mean, like, when Wes died, Wes died fighting. Doyle, same thing. Cordelia, technically not, but still went out, you know. As a fighter in that whole thing, like she was part of that world. Yeah. Tara was just... Collateral damage. Yeah, that was rough. So whenever she's brought up, it is used effectively. I guess that's what I have to say on it. Yeah, me too. Overall, I like it. We still got a lot of season to go, and it's going to be good stuff. 
So up next is Angel and Faith. Where can you find us? EditorsNoteComics.com on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. If you want to get this show a whole week early, find up with what's happening with Riley. Oh, that's a good one. I like this next arc we're doing. It's going to be fun. Oh, there's some good stuff in there. What a good season this is. I'm just excited. Stop in the middle of that. But what you're going to say was that uh, join us on Patreon. (laughs) Yeah, if you want to get the show a week early, patreon.com slash EditorsNoteComics. One buck a month will get you this show a week early every single week, plus my other show, the Editor's Note Comics Podcast. And you know what? If you want to give more than a dollar, you can. It's fine. It's just your minimum. Yeah, whatever. Uh, If you want to click on over to iTunes, give us a rating. It's fine. Do what you want, I guess. I mean, it would help other people find the show, which is good. And maybe tell a friend. Listen together. Have a listening party. That's weird. So we'll talk to you next week. Or shoot us an email, editorsnotecomics at gmail.com. But yeah, beyond that, we'll be back next week. See what's going on with Angel and Jolly Old England and find out where's Riley. It's it's a more exciting Where's Waldo. All right. We'll talk to you later. The answer is the jungle, but, you know, there's more to it than that. See ya. Bye.